the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. My name is Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. You changed things up. What's up, Jimmy? I did. I screwed that up. Good, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited about our guest today. This is I've not seen Jim as juiced up about a guest in quite a while, and we've been doing this for six years, so that's saying quite a bit. I'll just say this. It's the first time ever I've written out questions ahead of time, so that in six years, this is the, I think it's the first time I've ever done that. So our guest today is the author of the great book, Subtract. His name's Lighty Klotz. He's a professor at the University of Virginia, which is where my second son, Yusuf, attends as a sophomore. So Lighty, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks for writing out the questions and for reading the book. I think it'll make it a better experience for your audience here. Love it. Well, I'm going to ask you a question that's not on the list of questions, and that's just tell us a little bit about your journey, and then what made you want to write the book? How far back do you want the journey to go? It's uh... <laughs> You know what? As, as far as you think is relevant. I think it's um, it's probably relevant to say that I, you know, I'll start at college, I guess. Um, so I, I was a, I majored in engineering in college, but I was mainly focused on playing soccer. <laughs> so I like chose a college based on where I could start uh, and try to score goals in my very first year and knew that engineering was important, but um, never really thought about like making a contribution to knowledge, like at that stage in my life. So I think that's just useful to point out because so many students are worried that they're far falling behind in terms of like, oh, I don't know exactly what my career is going to be. And I also think it's important because the, you know, the, the things that you learn in sports kind of get carried through throughout your life. But I worked for a while. I will so I played professional soccer for a couple of years, making like $2,000 a month. So it was a cool, fun thing to do, but also I would be in the supermarket wondering if I could like buy cheese that week. And so it was obvious that this wasn't going to be a long-term thing for me. I did that for a couple of years and then I, I, I worked doing building construction. So it was like one way to apply that engineering degree that I had picked up. And it was interesting, but it was like I saw that so much of the construction, so much of what happened had very little to do with like engineering calculations. It was much more about human relationships. And, and I also realized that I would like 
doing research and, and teaching. So that's when I decided to go back for my PhD and got into academia. I was, you know, I had that engineering background, but I was still very interested in like not not necessarily the technical aspects of or not necessarily the engineering the physics and the chemistry, but more like the human elements of that. I got really interested in how we design things. And then that kind of led to this question about like when we're designing things, what's our first instinct? And that's, you know, where we came to this question of like, okay, why do we think of adding before we think of subtracting or do we think of adding before we think of subtracting and then what what can we do about it and i mean along the way i, I had always had like this very kind of built environment focused physical things but i mean as you're realizing like and as the the book lays out the and as lots of design theorists lay out i mean design is kind of the unifying theme behind all the professions right you're taking something from how it is to how you want it to be and whether that's a physical structure or whether that's an organization or whether that's a, a legal code or, or whatever, that's what we're doing. We're all engaged in like taking an existing situation and trying to change it into a preferred situation. And that's where this phenomenon applies that we overlook subtraction. And then, you know, you asked about like, why write this book now? And it's like, you know, I've been studying this stuff for a long time and this is this was like, wow, this is such an interesting finding. I have to share it with as many people as possible and, and explain what I think it means to as many people as possible. So that's where Subtract came from and how it fits into my background. In the book, you spend a lot of time talking about surveys and things and about how often we want to add instead of subtract. And, and I'm sort of like an idea hoarder and I love to listen to podcasts and just like yeah. consume and consume and add and add. Why is it? Are we built that way to want to add? Is it a survival instinct or what? <laughs> I mean, I can't speak to your idea hoarding, which I share. And I think that, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, so after we did all this research looking at like people changing situations and we looked at across, you know, physical things like Lego blocks and to, you know, what I would consider like manifestations of ideas like writing, for example. And in all these situations, when you ask people to make something better, their first thought would be to add to it. And oftentimes, even when subtracting was like the better option. And so ultimately, we did find that we are wired to think of adding first. It doesn't mean we have to add, right? It just means that one way to think about it is we kind of use adding as a substitute for thinking. Like our default mode of operation is not just sitting in a steady state, it's accumulating. And, you know, I'm elated that you start with ideas, right? Because I, I'm a professor. I'm never going to say like, oh, don't accumulate knowledge, right? This is like the best thing ever. But at the same time, some of the most powerful advances in individual knowledge and collective knowledge come from subtracting ideas, right? Or like rethinking something that you thought you already believed. So this is uh, really timely for me, this episode, because every week, so the, I'm in my third week and every week my task is to remove one thing from my calendar. And I started off by removing five things. So I'm now getting to the point where it's getting far more difficult. It's harder. It's, it's yeah, far yeah. more difficult at this point. So, which is a great exercise. I, I, it really is. Sorry to interrupt, but that's such a great exercise because, you know, one of the things here is that we don't think of it, right? And so like, 
by forcing yourself to do that, you're giving yourself a cue every week to like, okay, I need to, <laughs> now it's time to think about this. So what have you subtracted? Most of them have been meetings. Yep. That, was, that was the yep. main thing where I really thought through the process, am I really needed for this meeting? Um, or am I just kind of like just a passenger for the meeting? And and for most of them, I was a passenger. And then I also had a, a couple tasks on my calendar where I just kept ignoring them for like weeks. I just wasn't doing them. I said like, then it just needs to come off my calendar. If I'm not going to do it, I'm just going to remove from my calendar. So that was one of the main things, but I've saved myself hours upon hours of time just by getting rid of some of the meetings. Like they just weren't, weren't necessary. Like some of them I just canceled. I just said, we're not even going to do them as a, as a firm. So that was, that was really, really helpful. Yeah. I was talking to a company yesterday that had done this like meeting doomsday thing where basically like took every meeting off their calendar and then systematically evaluated whether they needed to be added back. And I mean, I think they ended up with like half as many meetings as they had before and saved some ridiculous number, like 10 hours of per month per employee of time. So there's a lot of fat to cut on the meetings, it seems like. <laughs> I, I love that because I'm a firm believer in meetings, but it is one of those things where some of them, right. they become just, yeah. they're, they're needless. Well, and it's again, like adding as a substitute for thinking. And as soon as you direct people's attention to it and the opportunity to save time, then you'd be like, oh, in fact, we don't need this meeting or we don't need half the people at the meeting or the meeting could be half as long or it could be every other week instead of every week. And then all of a sudden you're in a better place than you were. Well, let me ask about that. So that adding is a substitute for thinking. How do we, we, we have these routines in life every day where we just kind of go, we kind of almost become drones, you know, and you just kind of go, how do we stop that? How do we reverse that to add that thinking element? I, Cause I think it can be tough to do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And it's, it's a, there's a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a paradox or officially, but the other challenge is that the very thing that you need which is like time to think or space to think is the very thing that you're getting rid of when you keep adding, right? So you keep overwhelming yourself and it makes you even more likely to add because you're in this, you know, this goes into our, some of our, like into the depths of our research, but it also is really illustrative here. Like we had these tasks that we made on a computer screen that, you know, the right way to do them was to subtract blocks and the details aren't important, but like people would overlook subtraction and they would add a whole bunch of blocks instead of just subtracting a few. And then one of the kind of secondary things that we did on that, with that experiment was say, okay, well, if people, if this is like, we're wired to do this, if we're wired to think of adding first, then it should, if that's our default mode of operation, then this tendency should get even worse if people have multiple things on their plate. And so on this uh, experiment, we had the same blocks and then we had like numbers scrolling across the bottom and people had to press a key every time a five went by. So basically you're texting and driving, right? It's like you're trying to do two things at once. And as we theorized, when people were doing two things at once, they became even more likely to overlook subtraction. And what you need to do is to, to relieve some of those things and, and give yourself time to think. And I mean, there's, there is value of, of knowing of it. So, you know, listening to this podcast is a good step, but, and then the next thing is to put in place these cues, like, which is exactly what you're doing with your calendar. It's like when you come to make, when the critical decisions that you make, can you put in place a, like a procedural reminder to actually consider subtraction? You don't need to choose it, but just don't overlook it. Yeah. 
There are a lot of great stories of the power of subtraction in the book. And I think my favorite one was the story. I think it was San Francisco about yeah, the yeah. bridge. Can you, can you tell our listeners about that story? Yeah. So the Embarcadero in San Francisco um, is like their beautiful waterfront area. I mean, it's where you see the harbor seals and there's a like a carnival set up there. You can walk all the way down to the baseball stadium. I mean, it, it's just a thoroughfare that is a must see for tourists, but also it's really used by the people who live in San Francisco. I mean, they're commuting and biking and, and you go there and you would have no idea that it was once covered by a double decker freeway. And so basically since the 1950s or so, when, when we were building freeways across the country, this Embarcadero, there was a double decker freeway to help people move around the city. And, you know, obviously we need freeways to get around in a lot of cases, but this just seemed to be like an obviously in a, in prime real estate. And so for a long time, people have been talking about like, okay, what if we remove the freeway? Like planners who are, who were studying it and saying like, look, this would be, this property could be better used doing something else. But there was massive resistance to it among just in general. I mean, the one reason being like, hey, this is going to be hard to get to the businesses that are currently served by the freeway, for example, even though we know that in many, many, many cases, it's much better to have a business that's in like kind of a pedestrian area because then people are <laughs> people are moving more slowly, spending more time, more likely to come in and actually frequent the business. But anyway, there's a lot of resistance. It even came up to a vote once and it was uh, like two to one against removing the freeway and the city just kind of moved on. The planners were like, yeah, it seems like a good thing to do, but nobody wants to do it. So let's not bother. But then the uh, the 1989 earthquake happened. This was the World Series earthquake. Um, so I was watching as an early teenager, I guess. The Giants and the Ace is the Bay Area earthquake. Everybody's watching on TV. The earthquake happens and, you know, devastating billions of dollars of damage. 63 people died. And that freeway was structurally damaged. And a lot of the deaths that happened were on like a double-decker concrete freeway in Oakland. So not the same one, but one that was designed exactly the same way. So now you've got this new new situation where the freeway is damaged. Plus, you've got this evidence that, you know, this is a really dangerous thing in an earthquake zone. And that was finally the impetus to remove this, right? It, it wasn't necessarily a... Um, you know, a thought out planning, this is the, the best thing for the city. It was much more like, hey, there had to be an earthquake <laughs> for this to even be considered. And it still almost didn't get pushed through. It was very unpopular when they did remove it. And in fact, the um, the mayor who was in charge when they did remove the freeway was like voted out of office in the next election and the planning commission was gone after the next election. And But then after 10 years or so, everybody's like, hey, this is better. So, it's a really interesting, I mean, we talk a lot about subtraction at this very kind of small scale level where we don't think about it. The freeway wasn't a case where people didn't think about it, but it was a case where there was this kind of like emotional resistance to taking away. So even after we do think of subtracting, it can be hard to, hard to execute it for a lot of reasons. That's fascinating. Uh, I, I I think all of us in our lives at some point have an earthquake happy in our lives, whether it's a tremor or an actual earthquake. So let's talk about a little bit of or a pandemic. Yeah, or a pandemic, <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, that like totally changed how how we do things. Then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, maybe we can zoom for certain activities, or maybe yeah, totally, so. totally, yeah. So let's talk about it, but though with that, like, what is a, a checklist for subtraction? Can you talk about that part of it? 
Yeah, I think so. Checklists are like have been revolutionary in in medicine, for example, where it's like these instead of you know obviously there's all this knowledge about how to do a medical procedure the right way, and the you can't substitute that, right? You can't just like give me a checklist and have me do the medical procedure. But for the people who have been trained, the checklist is helpful in kind of like forefronting the main things to keep in mind while you're doing the task, because there's just limits to our working memory, the memory that we can have access to while we're acting. And so that's why I made a subtracting checklist in that spirit. Um, And I think one of the things, the first thing on the checklist is to kind of subtract before trying to improve something. So, so often we have, and this gets back to what Jim said about like information, right? So often we have so much information about a situation in our head And then if you just start subtracting from there, you may not have necessarily thought about like, what's the critical information, right? Like, what are the five components of this system that really matter? The real like leverage points. And um, it's important to take that like step of conceptual subtraction first. The next step then, (laughs) the second step is to subtract first. So I think, you know, we talked about one of the problems here being that we don't even think about it. And if you subtract first, you're of course going to think about it, but you're also going to think about it for future decisions too, right? Because subtraction then becomes top of mind. So I like just a playful example, but I use a lot of Lego examples for adding in the book. But Jenga is a game where there's a rule to subtract first, right? Like you're playing Jenga, you have to pull something out of the tower before you can add something in. And what that does is it keeps that system in balance, right? Like the Jenga set never grows any bigger. Um, I mean, it grows up high, but you're also not getting, you're forcing yourself to clean up every step or do a subtraction every step. And I think, you know, you can parallel that with rules, right? Um, So if you're talking about, hey, we've got, we need to have some new policy for our department. It's like, okay, great. What, what's the new policy, but what are two policies that we currently have that we don't need to have anymore? Right. So force this like, hey, right off the bat, you're going to have subtractive considerations. And so that, that helps with the overlooking it. It helps also with the like, hey, this is not something that tends to get rewarded, right? We oftentimes, you know, if you add something, it's like, okay, Jim added this new procedure and that's that's Jim's thing. Good job, Jim. If you take something away, it's like maybe Tyson gets a little bit of credit for making everybody's lives easier for a little bit, but then eventually it's out of sight and out of mind. There's no evidence of it. So subtracting first helps with that. And then the last two with the checklist are persisting to noticeable less. You know, I just said that one challenge with subtracting is that it's invisible. But I think if you subtract enough, right? If you think about the things that everybody's like, wow, that's like really minimalist or well, that's really elegant. You think about like some of the Apple products, for example, it's clear that that was intentional, right? That somebody was like, hey, we created this complex thing and then we spent even more time to strip it down to make it better for the user or make it different. And so sometimes it's like you do a couple of subtractions and nobody notices, but if you keep going, you can create something that is noticeably subtractive and then your effort is recognized. And then the last part is just to kind of reuse your subtractions. I think that we talk about like some of the challenges that it's harder to think of or that there's like more, it's emotionally challenging to get rid of something. But when you subtract something, you have something left over, right? If you add something to a system, 
you've just got the system plus that thing. If you take something away from a system, you've got the new and improved system, plus you've got the thing that you've taken away that then might be used somewhere else. And a really trivial example, but like donut holes, for example, it took a really long time for people to realize that you could subtract the middle from a ball of, you know, from the, the flat ball of dough and actually make it cook more evenly and there's more space for cinnamon sugar or whatever you put on your donut. So it makes the final product better, but it also, now you've got this byproduct of the donut holes that are another revenue stream, or at least could be like combined all together into to make another donut. So does that make sense? Yeah, my head's spinning because I've got all these things I'm thinking about in my life now. And I'm like, so you're, this is, I thought this was going to be a good episode for me. And I don't know, because now I'm like just thinking about all these things in my life and I'm going to apply this checklist too. So, the, and I love donuts too. So that also doesn't help. The Guild is maximum lawyers community of lawyer entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you will build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country four times per year. And in 2023, we've added a half-day workshop to each mastermind where you'll learn new skills while working on improving systems and aspects of your personal firm. Then take the hot seat on day two and work through your most pressing challenge. It's all inside the Guild. To learn more, visit maxlawguild.com. You're listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Our guest today, Lydie Klotz, the author of Subtract. So our market, the people that we have this podcast for, it's for small law firm owners, either solos or small firms. They're trying to grow. They're trying to expand. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we hear from them all the time is, you know, maybe I should eliminate some stuff. Maybe I should automate some stuff. Maybe I should delegate some stuff. Do you have any standards as to when something should be eliminated, maybe on the personal level of like too many tasks? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, I mean, it's easy to say, hey, consider subtraction. And then, you know, you're going to be the one who knows whether it actually makes sense for your organization. I think one common stumbling block maybe is that or common challenge and thing that can kind of provide a window into whether it makes sense or not is like keeping the the end state in mind so like what is your vision for the next step of your practice right and then that gives you a little bit of clarity on whether this is something that can actually be subtracted to improve that future vision or whether it's you know, whether it needs to stay and the right change in this case is to add something. So for example, well, I'll, I'll start with a trivial example and then put it into law, but like Marie Kondo is famous for like her tidying up stuff, right? And she's the, the person who gets you to declutter your living room. And one of the things that she does though, and one of the things that's happened because she's become so popular is that people aren't focused on like the t-shirts the that they're getting rid of. They're like, hey, I'm focused on this future vision of a perfectly clean living room that's going to make my life so much better. Um, and I think if you take that analogy to a law firm or, or to anything else for that matter, it's like the the thing that she's doing, Kondo's doing, is like focusing people on that future vision as opposed to the the individual subtractions that they might have like an emotional aversion to. 
And so I think that that is a, a really common thing. It's like, hey, you know, well, well, we've got this thing that we've always done and so-and-so is a great employee who's always been doing this thing. But if it doesn't like line up with the future vision, then figure out a new thing for that employee to do and, and, and keep your eye on that, that future vision. So I love going to restaurants that have like five things on the menu and not like 500 things on the yeah. menu. Like Cheesecake Factory would like give me like a seizure. Like I just, I like going to like a simple place like Cane's, like I don't eat chicken anymore, but like Cane's restaurant, it's like a perfect menu because it's like chicken and fries. That's basically all it is. Yeah. And we see the same thing with personal injury or uh, with uh, law firms where they'll do personal injury, they'll do criminal defense, they'll do estate planning, they'll do the gamut. And Jim and I always advise against it, but we, we get a lot of pushback because they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm giving up a lot of money. I guess, do you have any suggestions or advice to people that are doing a bunch of different things when it comes to practice areas that just, I mean, any, any advice that maybe Jim and I wouldn't think of? I'm trying to think, probably not that you wouldn't think of, but maybe I'll like reinforce some of the stuff that you're already saying. I mean, I, again, the, I'm, as I'm sure you say, like it depends on the context, but yeah, you're exactly right. The farther out you spread yourself, the less quality you're going to be able to provide in the specific area. And I think that, um, again, it's that vision, right? It's like, what do you, maybe you want to grow and you can be the best, like a personal injury or whatever the specialty is, as opposed to like growing into all these different areas. And I think, you know, a lot, a little bit of this gets to the, um, you know, what are the economic incentives? You know, sometimes when I talk about my research and, and saying that like, oh, people overlook subtraction and they're like, well, that's just because we live in a capitalist country or what, and it's, and in a lot of ways, it, that's like as much a symptom as a cause, right? I mean, I think the cause is that we like think this way. And then the, the then we also have these incentives that kind of push us in one way. But a lot of times the incentives aren't even really, you know, we kind of interpret them in that way. It's like, oh, we should grow. But if again, going back to the vision, it's like, what do you really want? You probably some motivation that's more like we want to best serve as many people as possible. And when you go to that vision, then it's like, well, the, the way we can best serve as many people as possible is to be really good at this one thing. And then we're really doing a good job for the, for the people that we do serve and we can pick up more people in this one area. So maybe it's a little bit like being guided by that core motivation of maybe why you got into it in the first place, as opposed to just feeling like, okay, everybody grows. That's the thing to do. So that's what we should do. One of the things we hear from a lot of our members is that they don't have enough time to get everything done. Yeah. And you talk in the book a lot about that topic and about time famine. I was wondering, what can the lessons of subtraction tell us about time management and specifically overwhelm? Yeah. And, and there's a classic study on time famine, they, like kind of early stage Silicon Valley people. And there's this kind of culture of working so much and this pride in being busy. And I think, uh, Jim, you had mentioned that that's something that lawyers feel. I mean, it's probably everywhere. I mean, I, professors talk about it too. And so this is like this ubiquitous thing where there, it seems like there's more stuff to do than time to do it in. Uh, so I think one thing that comes from the study of the, the people in Silicon Valley, but also if you look at your own life is true, is like, you know, what, how are these different tasks you're doing lining up with the things that you care about? And a lot of what the people were doing, um, the, the person who studied this, Leslie Perlow, she's at Harvard Business School. She categorized time into different buckets. And like one of the buckets was basically things like playing fantasy football. This was the early days of fantasy football. And people were spending time on that stuff and like counting it as work. And it's like, okay, like maybe you want to play fantasy football, but you know, that's not your work. 
making you not have time for your family. That's you deciding to play fantasy football. And then the other thing though, was like these tasks that basically kind of what Tyson, you explained of just like going to a meeting because you're a passenger in the meeting and people were doing a lot of these tasks just to show that they're like a good member of the organization. And I think those are the ones that we all can look out for, especially as leaders of organizations, right? Because, you know, it's, it's really hard for a new employee to say, hey, I'm not going to go to the meeting, right, <laughs> that they want me to go to. But the leaders can evaluate that and can set a good example and can like empower people to say, hey, if you like, if you don't see the value you're adding in this meeting, let's have a conversation about it and see if you really need to be there. So, so those kind of tasks where people do a lot of things just to show that they're doing the right things for the organization, those are things that can be eliminated. I'd also just say that writ large, we're using editing as a substitute for thinking in this case too, as we fill up our calendars. And it just makes it so important to actually set aside time to think about things to take away, right? And so... I've got my friend, Ben, he worked with me on this research, super smart guy. And he's like, came to me and he said, Hey, I just said no to a committee assignment. I'm taking our research to heart. And I was like, that's awesome, Ben, but you didn't subtract anything. <laughs> you just didn't add. Right. And so it's like, he hasn't relieved his overburdened schedule. He's just like not made it worse. And so we really have to think about like, what are the things that we are taking away and like continuously take things off of our calendar. I think that like the pandemic was a chance to do that because it just kind of threw everything up in the air at, at horrific cost and, you know, horrific disruption. And there are tons of things that I'm so glad to have back, but also it, it made us see that some of the things that we're just kind of like unthinkingly doing were not really necessary. One last practical tip on this one is that when you do subtracting something from your calendar, sometimes it can be helpful to just like leave a note on your calendar that like this time brought to you by subtracting a meeting. So when you have that like free afternoon and Ben's uh, partner actually does this, um, because again, this visibility problem, right? You, when you subtract, there's no evidence that like you did it. And it does, therefore, it doesn't give you a reminder that subtracting is a good option in the next situation or decision that you come to. But if you've got on your calendar, it's like, hey, this free afternoon where you can actually do your highest value work is brought to you by subtracting a meeting. And I think that that'll remind you that subtracting is an option for future decisions. I love that idea because it's really odd. When you start removing things, you see a lot of white space on your calendar. And so you want to start filling it back up. Right. And that's so hard to fight. I really like that idea of, of putting that in there. So I'm going to do that as soon as we get done here. I think that that's brilliant advice. And I also like the idea of like, you're kind of, you're being proactive, but you're also being defensive at the same point where you're at the same time where like you're saying no to things, but you're also removing at the same time. So, and saying no is not the same as removing. So I, I really like that, that thought too. So that's, that's great. Yeah. No, I saying, no, I don't mean to imply that saying no, isn't an option. It's just not going to relieve the, <laughs> the fundamental problem that we have too much to do. Totally. I love that. But uh, we do want to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to wrap things up. Uh, before I do, I want to remind everyone to join us in the big Facebook group where we have a lot of great information there. Just search Maximum Lawyer on Facebook and you can join our community. If you want a more high level conversation, go to the guild, uh, maxlawguild.com. A lot of great high level people there. So we, we would love to have you there. And while you're listening to the rest of this episode, if you don't mind leaving us a five star review, we would greatly appreciate it. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? Well, besides reading this wonderful book, Subtract, and I was reflecting that I think the reason I like this book is because Lighty is not like 
condescending or makes you feel bad for for not subtracting. It's just it's a real gentle path through subtraction. I think it's like, hey, this is what human beings do. And you're a human being. So don't beat yourself up for it. Just try subtracting. I like that tenor of the book more. But my hack of the week is to drink a gallon of water every day. I've been doing that for two and a half months now, and it's made a big difference. My skin's better. My face is better. I just feel better. I'm amazed at how thirsty I am when I actually wake up in the morning. I think a lot of us are walking around having headaches or aches, and a lot of it's because we're simply not drinking enough water. So that's my hack of the week. I love it. And Jim, congratulations. Today is your last day of 75 hard. So that's Thank you. awesome feat. Very good. You've lost a ton of weight and you look great. So Thanks, bud. congrats. That's awesome. Uh, you can remove now five things from your list to do, and it's going to it's gonna save you some time each day, which would be nice. Lighty, we always ask our guests to give a tip or a hack of the week. It could be a podcast, it could be a book, it could be anything. Can you give our guests a, a tip or a hack? A book, I'll give an author that people don't know about or and should, is Eduardo Galliano. And he wrote the best soccer book of all time. It's called Soccer in Sun and Shadow. But he's a Uruguayan guy who's just, and he writes like nobody else. His whole canon is really interesting perspective. If you don't like to read books, I don't recommend it. But if you like to read books, it's a, you'll know in the first chapter or so if it's something you might like. And if you do like it, you'll love it. Awesome. That's really cool. I will I will check that out. That's cool. It's funny. I don't think anyone has ever suggested an author. They've suggested books, book. but not an author. Yeah. So that's really cool. He's like nobody else. It's like a combination of like history and mysticism and uh, behavioral science. And yeah, he's just a really interesting guy. I like it. Jim and I were just talking a few minutes ago about like how we like thinkers. So he sounds like a thinker. Definitely a thinker. So that's good. Yeah. Love it. Really cool. Well, my tip of the week is, so I had a Facebook post in the big group the other day. It was about like basically the things that you're putting off in life. And I got some really kind of interesting things and some sad things. And so my tip is to pick one of those things, one of those things that you're, you're, I've been putting off and start doing it. Um, I got my pilot's license uh, earlier this year and it's something I'd been putting off that I wanted to do. And I'm encouraging you to, to do the same thing. But with this episode, I want you to remove one of the things from your calendar that will free up your yeah, time. Yeah, two. two. Yeah, good, Jim. Two things. Oh, remove two things. Sorry. Remove two things from your calendar to free up your time to do that. So that is my advice. I did not want to add something to someone's calendar without having them remove it. So uh, I had to make sure. So remove two things, um, add that one thing. But uh, Lighty, this has actually been a lot of fun. And I'm not just saying that. I really mean it. I've really enjoyed this episode. I actually wish we could talk for like hours because it's just really interesting. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it as well. And, and thanks for the work that you all do. It's a pleasure to be able to communicate to your community and maybe help in a small way with the, the vital work that you do. Awesome. Thanks, Lady. Thanks, Lady. Really thank appreciate you. it. See you, bud. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.